Uh, if you are here for the first time today, we are so thankful that you're with us. Uh, because today's a great day to jump in with our church because today we begin a four-week mini-series based out of 1 John, highlighting a few key themes that are foundational to New City Church. Like over, so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what we call our core values. You know, when I sat down uh, four years ago, about four years ago, to dream and pray uh, about New City Church before we ever started anything, before we had a team or did any fundraisings, one of the very first things that I was encouraged uh, and led to do and think through were vision and core values. You know, for the purpose of just being able to really clearly articulate what our church is all about and where we're going and why we even exist. And we came up with a vision statement uh, that tells very clearly where we're going and what we're doing and why we, our church even exists, which is this. A new city church exists to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. Uh, you know, our church, it was birthed on a, and founded on the burden to see life transformation, to see lives changed by the gospel here in Tampa and around the world. Like we are burdened burdened to see those who are wounded and wandering and weary uh, and searching for life to find Jesus and allow Jesus to come in and, and restore and heal people uh, to then empower them and to re release them back out uh, into mission with uh, purpose and passion. Like we want to see restoration uh, in all walks of life on repeat month after month after month. So we're going to try really hard to not be a church where you can come in and stay the same. Like, there's not a single person on this planet that has arrived to full maturity in Christ. And so um, like, if you come in on Sunday and get plugged into our groups and serve, like, we wholeheartedly believe uh, that God will change your life. And not because of anything special uh, about us, but because we believe that when you teach the word and preach the gospel and love people and emphasize discipleship and mission, God just changes lives. And so we want to do whatever it takes to, to make disciples uh, and mobilize missionaries and plant churches to see life transformation in, here in Tampa and around the world. And so if this is where we're going and why we exist, then we need to ask, how are we going to get there? Like, how is all of this going to happen? And yes, there's many ways that this will happen, but at the end of the day, we believe that our core values will be the vehicle that will drive our church towards that vision to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. So I want to be very, very clear on this. Uh, there are a lot of things that we hold to uh, that are essential to our church. For example, we have a very detailed statement of faith that we hold to and affirm as a church. Like we really value theology and doctrine here. Uh, we also hold firmly to the inerrancy and sufficiency of the Bible. Like uh, we are a Bible teaching church that loves the word of God. And we also believe uh, that we're saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, and by grace alone. We're like we're a praying church. That we, we believe we should bathe everything in prayer. Like we're totally dependent on God for anything to happen. And so we try uh, to pray as much as possible. Like there's so many things like this that we hold to that are so important to our church. And I would encourage you just to go and look at our statement of faith and dig into it. But when we think about our core values and the DNA of our church, these are things that when you kind of pull back the curtain and kind of pop open the hood, these are the things that I hope you'd find in everything we do. Like these are things that two different churches can have the same theology and doctrine, but practically speaking, how we do things and prioritize things may be different. For example, like we're not a big program church uh, where you come in and can sit down and leave. We're, we're not going to wow a lot of people with our production and all of our programs. Like we desire to do them well and with excellence, and we want to be good stewards of all that God has given us with all the gifts and talents that are within our church. And yes, we have some programs for our kids and our students. But outside of that, we just don't do a lot of programs. 
And so our grid for excellence is not first programs, but rather people. And so you'll notice all of our core values are people-centered. Like, see, these are our three core values. Authentic relationships, intentional discipleship, and missional urgency. And in my brilliance and creativity, after we came up with these phrases, I started to think, like, how can we uh, really, uh, like, how can we really help these stick with people? I was just kind of racking my brain about it. How can we help people remember these? And so uh, let's take A-I-M, just kind of going down the line. What can we do with an A, an I, and an M? So I kind of wrote it down on a piece of paper vertically, trying to think really hard about it. I sat there for a few seconds, for a few minutes, just kind of racking my brain. Uh, and then I looked at the paper, uh, the paper and noticed what it spelled. Aim. Oh, this is our aim. Like, this is our goal, our target. I thought, well, that's convenient. I wish I was smart enough to do that myself, but y'all, it was a total accident. Okay, God did that for us because uh, that's just, I guess, what, how it worked out. And then I remembered uh, immediately, oh yeah, for all those over the age of 30, AOL Instant Messenger, like AIM, where Lil Hovis would chit-chat with Kelly B underscore 517. <laughs> like, so those are our three core values, AIM, AIM. And that will go through over the next three weeks. Authentic relationships, which is today. Intentional discipleship, uh, which is next week. Missional urgency is coming up. Uh, and then uh, they all kind of fall under the umbrella of being a gospel-centered church. So that's like New City Church is a gospel-centered church. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Because without the gospel, without Jesus and the cross and the power of the resurrection, there's no way any real change will happen. Like we don't stay, uh, we don't say accept the gospel for eternal life and then after that try really, really hard to change on your own. No, like the gospel is also for life change. You know, I'm all about hard work uh, and discipline. We all need it. It's really good for us. But I say that while saying we're not a pull yourselves up by the bootstraps church. No, Jesus saves us and Jesus by his grace and by his mercy also changes us, which is why we're ending our series with what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Again, we believe with so much uh, conviction that the gospel changes lives. But when we say we're a gospel-centered church, which has become a little bit of a buzzword over the past few years in the Christian world, uh, that doesn't just mean that we uh, give a gospel presentation every week, which is what often people think of when they hear gospel-centered, which, yes, we do try to give, uh, do that in some way every week, but it means so much more than that. The gospel doesn't just save us. Uh, it also changes us and it empowers us every day. The gospel uh, is for everyday life, and as Christians, we never move past it. Maybe you've heard it said this way. The gospel message is not just a diving board that gets us into the Christian faith, but it's also the swimming pool uh, that we swim in every day. Like, we never move past the gospel here. And we're going to talk about that more in details in a few weeks. And as we go through these, over the next four weeks, we'll do all of this using 1 John as our anchor. And so every week we're going to do kind of a flyover using the entire book of 1 John. Uh, but just, as, just to prepare you, uh, this will be different than how we normally preach here. Like We normally go verse by verse through books, uh, but we're not going to do that in this series. We're going to do that in, in September going through the book of Joshua. But we're, uh, we're going to use 1 John to see our core values very clearly from the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, if these are our ideas, y'all, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Like we don't believe that these core values are extra special just for New City, but rather we believe this is what God's word calls us to. Like this is not man-centered wisdom that we're trying to use to elevate our church. No, these are uh, convictions we hold to because of the word of God. And so the hope is to show you these from the word and let the word kind of drive our time and not our own opinions and philosophies. And the reason we're using 1 John 
It's because we just finished the Gospel of John. So it's a bit of an encore. It's the same author around the same time. In the Gospel of John, it was more of a narrative highlighting the life of Jesus that was written for the purpose of unbelievers to believe in Jesus. Where 1 John is a letter written to believers to find assurance in their faith. You know, as my old seminary president, Nanny Aiken, said, if John was written to convert the sinner, then 1 John was written to confirm the saint. So this letter was written to several different churches for the purpose of being passed around to make, these, make sure that these churches are on the right track. And so for us today, this seems like a pretty good book for us to look at to make sure that our church is on the right track. You know, 1 John has several different purpose statements in this letter. That's kind of what the author, John, he loves purpose statements. We kind of see them scattered throughout the book. For, uh, for, for example, John wrote this book to teach what is right about Jesus. There's a lot about Jesus in the book of 1 John. We see how uh, John wrote this book to teach about right commands. There's a lot of commands that he says to seek to obey. And he also says uh, to teach about how to, uh, how to love one another rightly. And as we look at this letter, I think we'll see how our core values have a really strong foundation from Scripture. In fact, I would actually encourage you to go back uh, and, and read the entire letter in your own, ch- in your own time and double check and triple check all of this for yourself. Like, uh, don't trust me, trust the Word. Like, my job is just to point, and tell, and point out and show you what it says. But as I say that, the core value we'll see today through the, the book of 1 John is authentic relationships. And so today, our main idea is authentic relationships are essential to the Christian life. Again, this is nothing earth shattering. God created us and made us to be in relationships with people. And so if we're going to see lives changed here in Tampa and around the world, we have to be relationally connected to people. And not just connected to them, but connected in a way where they know that we care for them and that we love them. Because I think we can all agree that there is a difference in being relationally connected to someone and having a real authentic relationship with people. Like it's one thing to have someone's telephone number, but it's a totally different thing to have know someone's heart and to know their struggles and to know their passions uh, and yet still love them anyways. Like when we say authentic relationships, it means that people are known and loved and cared. It means that we have real friendships with each other. And I know this takes time, and I know this is often uh, slow and hard and not always ideal, or maybe how we would choose it, uh, but relationships are always the goal. And yes, I desire this for our church, but not because it's my, my desire, but because God's word calls us to it. I pray this all the time for our church, that some of our best friends would be here uh, at New City Church. Again, our church uh, and and other churches, any church for that matter, is not a service, it's not a program, it's not a building, it's not about preaching, it's not about the music, it's not about the kids' ministry or the youth program. No, a church is a people. And people and a church uh, that does not love one another, as we'll see today, disobedient to the commands of Jesus. So get this. Did you know that about a hundred of the New Testament commands are geared towards one another, each other? And about a third of those, one another commands are expressed towards being unified, which we talked about last week. And another third are expressed towards loving one another. And so if we as a church do not incorporate others into our life from within our church, we are being disobedient to the commands of Jesus. Like plain and simple. Like there's no, absolutely no concept in the Bible for an isolated, solo, just me and my Bible Christian. Like that is totally anti-everything the Bible teaches. No, God created us to be in relationships and for meaningful connections, and he has also commanded us towards it. And I don't really think this should surprise us as we just kind of step back and think about this. 
Because when we experience loneliness, like many of us often do at times, it's just proof that we were created for relationships. When we desire marriage and romantic relationships, it shows us that yes, we were created for relationships. Like the fact that uh, the show Friends was so popular for so long is proof that we, we love and we crave relationships. Like it was popular for 10 seasons. And what is so fascinating to me about today's world is that we're more connected to people, maybe more than ever with our technology, but yet many agree throughout all walks of life that we're maybe the loneliest we've ever been. Like there's a good chance that either you or those very close to you over the past several years have experienced loneliness and longs for close relationships. And this loneliness that the world is experiencing, I think, shows us the brokenness of the world, that there, uh, that there has to be a different way, showing us the, cre the, the created design is off its path. And the church has to have a different way forward. Now, as soon as I say that, I make it sound like those inside the church won't be lonely, which we all know is just not true. Like our world is broken and we all experience the results of this, even within the church. But what I am saying is that the relationships within the church should be innately deeper and more authentic than those outside of the church, which we as a church should be leading the way and what it looks like to be in relationships in the way in which we were created to live because God's word, it speaks very, very clearly on the topic. And so for the rest of our time, this is what we're going to do, okay? So we're going to fly over the book of 1 John, just looking at it at a high level, kind of just like flying over the entire letter, letter, uh, letter. And when we see things in the book that direct our relationships, we're going to just stop and point them out. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So I want to just stop there. We're, we're flying kind of slow right now. John is basically saying that he spent time with Jesus. He witnessed his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he saw everything that we saw in the book of John over the past year. And so John is reminding these different churches that all those things that he wrote, he's saying, remember that I was there. Like John, he talked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. Like he saw his nail-pierced hands. He, he heard his last parting words. And then he continues, bidding on the same idea in, 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 in uh, verse 2. The life, speaking of Jesus, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, and has made manifest to us. And look at verse 3. This is what I want us to focus on. That's which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John says to his audience that uh, he saw and witnessed and heard what he saw, he's, he's now telling to them. So that as uh, we saw in verse three, they can have fellowship with them. So John is essentially telling them from verse three that their foundation for their fellowship and friendship and relationship is their fellowship with Jesus which leads us to our very first point, right out of verse three. Number one, authentic relationships with others begins with an authentic relationship with Jesus. And this is where we kind of zoom out for a few minutes and look at this from a bigger picture because this idea, it's all over the Bible. Like last week, we ended the book of John. Uh, in John 17, we saw Jesus's final prayer where Jesus prayed for the unity of his people. And now about 50 years later, we see John writing something similar showing that their unity in their relationship is based on their unity in Christ. 
Again, all summer long, we looked at that upper room teaching after we came back after the resurrection earlier this past spring, where Jesus was teaching in the upper room about our friendships and how we're able to be connected to Jesus and how we're able to abide in love of God, we're able to love others. And you know, this idea is all over 1 John. But what we need to see today is that the foundation for our relationships with others, it doesn't start with ourselves. No, it starts with Jesus. And I think this is something that maybe we've heard, like that Jesus is the foundation for our marriage and friendships and fellowship with others. Uh, But when we stop and kind of pop open the hood and really look at it and be honest with ourselves, most of our relationships, practically speaking, don't start with Jesus. They often start with us. And I can say this with confidence because I personally know how this works and how easy it is to make our relationships about the wrong thing. Like in our relationships with one another, we're often looking for another person to ultimately fulfill what only God can fulfill. And this often happens without us even realizing it. Like this is so important. Don't miss this. Like we can look, we can often look to relationships in others, maybe even unintentionally, to define our identity and worth. Maybe thinking, if if this person or these people invite me or pursue me or consult me or call me or post a picture with me, then my worthiness is defined and my identity and value is established. In New City Church, this is such a dangerous trap. Like, I know how dangerous this is because I can easily fall into this just like the rest of us. 20 years ago, before I was dating Kelly. Both when I was a Christian and also when I was not, I defined my worthiness in whether another girl accepted me or wanted to date me. 15 years ago, in my relationship with my wife, even to this day at times, being married, I often define my worthiness based on how she thought of me or thinks of me, based on my merit or goodwill or how she uh, may speak of me. In the business world, I often find myself wanting to be approved by my clients and coworkers and bosses and would work harder not for God's glory, but for their greater approval. And you know what? It's not, only di- it's, it's not only different in ministry as a pastor. Actually, in many ways, I found this to be harder. Like it's so easy to divide my worth as a pastor on the health of our church, the message that I preach, or the response to the counsel and direction that I give. Like we could go on and on about different ways that we allow those around us to define our worth, value, and identity. But what we see here and throughout the Bible is that, no, Jesus defines our identity. Jesus defines our value, and Jesus defines our worth. And there's no person on this planet that deserves to hold the power of defining our identity. Like, why would we give the pa- that power over to a broken, flawed, limited, and finite person when the God of the universe looks at us in our myths and filth and sin and says to us, as he says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are my beloved child. I have chosen you, I have adopted you, I have rescued you, as we see in 1 Peter, that God calls us royalty. Jesus says to us, I have clothed you with my royal garments, I have washed you totally clean, white as snow, and you now have my royal privileges, and you are a child of the king. Like God looks at us because of Jesus, and he says, I am pleased with you. And when we hand over that baton of power, over to our spouse or our friend or mom or dad or family member or coach or boss or a pastor or whoever we hand it to, we have handed over the very thing that Jesus died to give us. Like Jesus died on the cross to call us his own, to give us a new identity and to make us new creations as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Like there's not a soul on this planet that can define us and show us our value and worth like the God who created us. 
And when we begin every relationship firmly rooted by our identity in Jesus, whether they are a Christian or not, we can be freed to live in the full joy of Jesus. Because, y'all, it is so incredibly easy to let the people around us divine our life, our worth, and our value. And get this, when we begin our relationships with Jesus founded on the gospel, I don't want to say forgiveness is easier, but I will certainly say it is easier. Because when we remember how God forgave us and rescued us out of our own sin and filth, and when we daily live and remember that our lives are a testimony, a living testimony of grace, y'all, it makes showing grace to others and offering forgiveness to others just a step easier. Because those who know they have been forgiven much are also able to forgive much. Like, I think we can all agree that relationships, they're just messy. And why? Because sin is real. Like, we all have it. We just wear it differently. But do you know the difference between authentic relationships and non-authentic relationships? In authentic relationships, we see the sin and messiness in each other's lives, and we choose to love them anyways. Like, this is what the love of Christ does. Real relationships sees a big old mess, and it doesn't retreat, but rather it steps into the mess in love. Like, authentic relationships see sin and filth. They see messiness and burdens, and yet they place down their anchor and say, I'm here whether you like it or not. And why do we do that for others? Because Jesus first did that for us. Yo, we can be a steadfast presence in the lives of others because Jesus has been steadfast with us. New City, this is what we're all about. Like, we don't run from the mess. We don't avoid the mess. We don't hide from it. No, God calls us to enter into it. And does this mean we'll be perfect in this? No, not at all. Because we too are messy and limited and finite. But do you know what happens when we do this? Life change happens. Transformation and redemption and restoration, it happens. And it's not just for us, but this happens when we take the gospel around the world. Like how we reach people here in Tampa and how we disciple people here and how we love people here and seek to be steadfast with people here is how we're also going to do it around the world. Like life change doesn't happen, it often happens uh, quickly, but rather like it also happens very slowly over time, like day by day, week by week. You know, I've been thinking about this so much over the past few months. Like we think about life change and, and, and transformation in terms of instantaneous overnight. And we pray for that. And sometimes it happens. But what is most often the case is that we should think of life change in terms of years and decades. Like the long and slow process is most often where we see life change. But it all begins when we begin with Jesus and not us. Let's keep going. Chapter 1, verses 5 and in. We're, we're still flying slowly. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we uh, and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, we're not doing a deep dive here. We're doing a flyover. But what I want to point out is that when we walk with Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus. The result of this is that we walk in the light, which means we live our lives with openness towards one another. John said in verse 7, 
When we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In verse 9, he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And how do we confess our sin and walk in the light? We do that with one another. We do that in relationships with each other, which leads us to number two, authentic relationships, practices, confession, and repentance. Church, when we live our lives closed off and nobody knows the depths of our lives, life change and transformation, it may not happen. Like this is so important. God's method and means for life transformation is to live in the light. God's word is very clear. When we walk in the light, which means we share and confess and tell people in safe spaces all of our junk, like God changes us. Real authentic relationships with one another, it involves knowing the messiness of each other's lives and again, loving each other anyways. When we hold back, showing our mess, we're hindering life change in our life. And I'm not saying every person needs to know everything, but some people do need to know everything. And the longer we're fighting sin, the more people we need to bring in with us. Like we can't fight these massive sin dragons by ourselves and probably not just with one other person. You know, it may take a whole village, but guess what is worth it? We should share with all those who are willing to help and fight with us. You know, we often act like confession and repentance. This is like this big scary thing. You know what it is scary? <laughs> because our enemy hates it. Confession and repentance is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us as a means for life change. Like it is so good for us. And the Bible is very clear that God changes us through it, which is why the enemy will do whatever he can to keep us from confession and repentance. And not only that, like these things, when we do them, it strengthens our relationships. God strengthens uh, the strength of a relationship that is founded on Jesus. It is strengthened through confession, repentance, and hardship alongside one another. That the depth of our relationship is deepened with vulnerability and confession and going through trial together and depending on Jesus together in the process. Now, the reason we have, we break into small groups of three to five people every week in our city groups is so that we can hopefully have consistent safe spaces just to share with one another and to pray for one another and encourage one another. And so if you're not in a small discipleship group and you want, like, we, want to, we want to see you grow and we want to see you get into a group because this is where we get things out of the dark and into the light as our text calls us to. Yes, coming on Sundays, it's important. Being under the teaching of God's word will change us. But if Sunday is our only engagement with our church, we're missing out on quite possibly the best method of life transformation that God has given our church. Now, I love to preach and I believe it's massively important. This is a one-way deal though. Because you know what? I know that many can come in and, and I can preach and people will still live with things hidden, living in the dark and not in the light. Like we need each other in our lives to hold us accountable, to love us and to encourage us and to pray for us regularly. You know, our elders, we meet every month and we spend about half of that time just sharing our lives and praying for each other and seeking to love one another and care for one another. We're each also in weekly groups and you know, these relationships for each of us are so important. Like the reason we have a small huddle before every Sunday service at 10 a.m. here with all those who serve is yes, to encourage those who serve, but maybe just as important is so that we can have the opportunity to know our elders and get to know more people in our church. Like we desire for every person to know multiple people in our church and to have like multiple webs of relationships so that uh, we can have opportunities to find safe spaces and to live in the light and to have someone to call and to reach out to in both the good times and in the hard times. 
Like we want you to know as many people as possible and be deeply connected as possible so that you can truly have a village around you. Again, a church is not a service. It's not a program. No, a church is people. Church happens when God's people gather. And being a part of a local church, deeply connected to a local church, it's essential to the flourishing of our faith. And it's for our own personal good and holiness. You know, we want you to be in groups, just, not just to add something to your schedule, but we want each person to be in a group because we believe that God changes us through them. It's not just something we do. They're not just one, another one of our programs that we offer. It's, it's the way in which we see life change. Now, I am so personally passionate about this because this is how God changed me. God didn't change me through a program. He didn't change me through, he changed, he changed me through people in my life coming around me and digging into my life and pointing me to Jesus. Well, there's so much more we could say here, but I want to keep moving. We're going to take a big jump uh, and skip over to chapter three. Look at uh, verse 11 in chapter three. John says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Again, John is continuing to emphasize our relationships with one another and how love is essential to our relationships. And so if we were to kind of keep reading, we'd see John talk about Cain and Abel and how when we hate one another, uh, but when John, both John and Jesus, they equate that to murder. So John in chapter three is contrasting love with hate, showing how hate is not from God. You know, we talked about this last week as we talked about unity in the body of Christ. Uh, when we were at odds with a brother or sister in Christ, we need to know like, this is not from God, straight from the devil, because our enemy is seeking to stir up division where God desires repentance and reconciliation and unity that is driven by love. No, we don't skirt away from the truth. Like The most loving thing we can do is tell the truth in a loving way. Again, hate and ill will are not from God, but rather when we are moved towards love, when we move towards love, that is from God. Look at what John says in chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know, that's some strong language. He's shooting straight. He's getting straight to the point. Relationships that are founded on Jesus will do everything possible to rid out hate in our hearts. Like anger and ill will and bitterness in our hearts towards others. We have to work through that. And how do we do it? We do it through love. And what is love? Look what John says next in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, John is showing a stark contrast, contrasting love against hate and using Jesus as our model. Jesus laid down his life for us, which in turn leads us to lay down our life for others, leading us to number three, authentic relationships are filled with sacrificial love. Y'all, it's not hard to love when we gain. But you know what? It is hard to love when we lose. And love, it's best measured by sacrifice, by our loss. And the reason that we can say that is because the greatest act of love that has ever been shown to the world is measured by sacrifice. The love of God is measured and displayed to us by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And so how do we know the love of God? We look to the sacrifice of the cross. We look to the cross and see that God sent his son to die a slow, torturous death for you and for me. In New City, when we look to the love of Christ as our model for how we are to love others, we're moved to sacrificial love. When we look at our relationships with others, love doesn't say, what can they give to me? It says, what can I sacrifice for them? 
When we hear of love, we often think of it as something that we receive. But when we look at Jesus as our model, Jesus didn't first ask to receive love. No, he sacrificed to give his love. I mean, just think about how the love, uh, just the, the love of Christ to us. Like, what do we do to receive his love? Nothing. Jesus just gave us his love. The only thing that we brought to the table was sin. We rebelled and we rejected God. And what did God do in return? He sent his son to die for you and for me. The love that Jesus gave was not done based on what Jesus received, but rather because he just loved God. Husbands and wives, this is our model. Like we love our spouse, not because of what they have done for us, not because of the the chores they do, not because of the things they say. No, the basis of our love for our spouse is the love that God has shown to us. We don't look at our brothers and sisters in Christ looking for their love. No, we look to God the Father for his love, just as Jesus did, and in turn, out of the overflow, we love and sacrifice for those around us. Sacrificial love towards others will be one of the byproducts when we come and worship the Lord and sit at his feet and abide in his love, just as John showed us in John chapter 15. Sacrificial love towards others that comes out of the overflow of worship compelled by the love of God is what leads us to bear one another's burdens when we feel like we can't bear any more burdens. Being compelled by the sacrificial love of God will compel us to forgive and forgive and forgive over and over and over again to those who have wronged us. Coming to God and seeing his overflowing love is what compels us to go to our neighbor and truly care for them and love them and bear their burden and make sacrifices for them when it would be way easier just to sit at home and watch Netflix. Like the sacrifice, visual love of God moves us to more sacrifice towards one another. Because again, the measure of a relationship is the level of sacrifice. Like why, don't, why do you think the Bible talks so frequently and so often of giving up of our resources and sacrificing and giving extravagantly for the mission of God? It's because this is what the love of God compels us to do. God moves us to sacrifice greatly, not because of guilt, but because of love. Now, I received a text this past week from my old pastor. He just got off sabbatical. Uh, he wanted to just kind of share something. He was uh, reading a biography of James Convert, I guess, uh, on his uh, sabbatical. He was a missionary to cannibals in the 1800s uh, to the Fiji Islands. And y'all, this is two weeks in a row when I'm talking about cannibals and missionaries. So this is kind of fun. But on the way there, the captain of the boat looked at him and said, if you go there, you will lose your life. And his response back to the captain was, we died before we came here. Like he knew his life was a living sacrifice. He was compelled to sacrifice his life and die for those who had never heard the name of Jesus because he was compelled by the sacrificial love of God. And so how are we going to send missionaries all over the world and convince people to move their life and sell possessions and leave their families and uh, and make tremendous sacrifices? We're going to day in and day out, week in and week out, model to one another the sacrificial love of God. We're going to take meals to people. We're going to do serve projects and sacrifice our time for people and give up our life day in and day out, not so that we can pour out on empty, but because we've been filled up by the love of Jesus that moves us to sacrifice. So how are we going to see life transformation in situations that seem way too difficult? We're going to worship Jesus and be moved to sacrifice, not because we're empty, but because we're full of the love of Christ. How are we going to see marriages restore and orphans adopted and the hurting healed? 
We're going to pour out our lives what God has filled up with his sacrificial love. We could go on and on about this. Church, this is what the gospel does. It moves us towards sacrificial love that we need each and every day for our families and friends, people in our church, our spouses. Like sacrifice is fueled by worship. And authentic relationships that we're talking about today, it's filled with sacrificial love. Like worship, like authentic relationships is the byproduct of worship. And you know, this idea, it's all over the Bible. I mean, you literally can't get through the book of 1 John without being bombarded with this idea. Like you can't miss it. I mean, again, go back and read the whole thing. But just to give you a small taste of it, in chapter four, let's look at 1 John uh, 4, chapter four, verses seven through nine. These are just the first three verses. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And look at verse eight, very next verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then get this. John continues on with this idea for 29 more verses up into chapter 5. Like over and over and over again, showing the connection between God being in us and his love being shown through us to those around us. And look next, look next, as John kind of shifts gears. See our last point. Look at chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has been born, he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And look at verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Again, John said in verse nine, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. New City, if we believe in Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we, if we, have, we have the testimony of God, Like we know the truth. We know that eternal life is found in Jesus and also full life is found in Jesus. Uh, Then we see showing our last point, number four, authentic relationships point to Jesus. In our first point, we said authentic relationships begin with an authentic relationship with Jesus. And we also have said that authentic relationships show repentance and confession and sacrificial love. And now we're saying authentic relationships point to Jesus. And this is different than the first point. Because there we said it starts with Jesus as our foundation, saying we don't look to each other for hope in life. No, like we go to Jesus for life. Now we're saying it ends with Jesus. The best friends in our life, as John said in verse 9, we won't give each other our own wisdom, but rather we'll point to Jesus. Like if we have a friend and they're not following Jesus, we are not loving them if we don't point them to Christ. Sharing the gospel with others is the most loving thing we can do for those that we love. Like if we profess faith in Jesus, but in turn don't point to Christ, we're not being a good friend. We're not caring well for them. And so when we think about mission and evangelism, the scripture shows us that it's not compelled out of duty, but love. Like we we don't proclaim Christ and point people to Jesus because we're supposed to, but because we love them. 
New City, enduring love. Love is the single best motivator for God's mission. It's the best one. If we wanna see people come to Christ, we make friends, we genuinely love them, and we point them to Christ. If they reject Christ, as we still continue to love them, continue to befriend them, and continue to plead with them to respond to Jesus. You know, often the best evangelists are often the best at making friends. You know, maybe you've heard it said that the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. And so if we're going to be effective to see lives changed here in Tampa and around the world, there's no question. We must be a people that love well and cultivate friendships with lost people. If we're going to disciple well, which we'll talk about next week, we must love well and be relationally connected in deep and meaningful ways. You see, church, we don't just want authentic relationships to become a common phrase that we say. No, we desire it to be the core of who we are. And we would be a people that love deeply and sacrifice deeply and confess regularly and a people that continue to show grace and kindness to all around us. Let my prayer that this wouldn't be who we say we desire to become, but rather just who we are. You know how this happens? It happens when we as a collective people are day in and day out just surrendered to Jesus and his ways. And we say, God, not my will, not my desires, but your will. Like may our lives be more about God and his glory than ours. Than ours. New City, this is, this is just what Jesus calls us to as followers of Christ. Again, this is, this is not a new city thing. This is a following Jesus thing. You know what? When we can seek to earnestly live it out in everything we do and Jesus lives in us, it just becomes the core of who we are. It's our, this is our DNA. God, let's pray. God, we're thankful that you care for us, that you care for relationships. God, we're thankful that you made us for relationships. That you, you made us to need one another and to care for one another. That this is just a part of who we are. So God, we just pray that you would continue to make us into a people that are deeply connected and are growing in Christ together, that we wouldn't be siloed or isolated, God, but that we would be deeply connected in authentic relationships with one another. God, we're so uh, thankful for your word and how it shapes us and corrects us. God, we need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.